Well, amen. It is great to have you with us this morning. We are uh, continuing through Hebrews. I hope you enjoyed uh, Drew really showing us what Jesus as a high priest was like last week. And I thought before we started this week, I thought I'd tell you about a cool conversation I had. About two weeks ago, I went to lunch with a uh, couple that had just been attending this year. So that's about March. And they sat down with me and they said, Chad, I can't tell you what God is doing in our life through the people, through the church, through the messages we're receiving here. And I will tell me more about that. That's exciting. And these were 20-plus year Bible veterans. We go to church their whole life. And, and I said, well, you listen, I don't get out much on Sunday, right? You know, it's an occupational hazard. I said, so what's been the big difference that you felt coming to Horizon? And she paused for a moment. And she said, it's like... We have moved from milk to meat. And she goes, I think there's a Bible passage about that. I said, there is. <laughs> In fact, it's the one we're going to talk about today. The idea of how do we as Christians who've been around the Bible for 20 years dig deeply into the Bible. And she was just so excited. She and her husband were talking. I thought, well, they're not going to like our other service, right? we got an equipping service, an exploring service. In our exploring service, we, we do, you know, secular music and Peter Gabriel and Elton John last week. I said, well, have you been to our exploring service? They said, oh, we love it. It's actually deeper Bible teaching than we've gotten in most churches. I'm like, that is so awesome to hear that, that God is using that in your life. What's got you so excited about that service? And I said, we got a, a family member who hasn't been to church in like 10 years, and she's been coming to the exploring service. And so we've been coming with her and then watching the equipping service online and we can just see how God is using these tools to draw people. And I was so encouraged. And I know for many of you, you serve, you give, you invite. And to see almost weekly, I have conversations with folks. We got done with our, our lunch and they said, listen, we want to come alongside, be part of this. How do we join Horizon? How do we come alongside? How do we give financially? And they just began to kind of invest in to giving to a place that helped them move from milk to meat. And I was just so encouraged that we could create an environment for people like that who are 20-year Bible veterans looking to go deep and have family members who kind of given up on church who have started attending just because of that two-service design. In fact, many of you have noticed it's not just the services, but also um, the environments we create outside, right? As you came in, maybe you noticed since we're back from COVID that we've redone the atrium out there. That's the same thing. I had somebody camp this a couple years ago, said, listen, I want to be part of what God's doing, and is there any special projects that I could financially give to be part of? And sure enough, several people gave to be part of some remodels that we're doing right now. We're updating the children's program right now, updating the, the atrium. And if you haven't been in there, of course, to get your, your bagels and coffee, you can see the pictures up on the screen, but we've got a whole new area been remodeled. And again, this is designed to, to make people feel comfortable so they come in to hear the gospel and moving from milk to meat. Stories like I heard just a few weeks ago. And so just as you're giving, and maybe you're not someone who gives to Horizon, and you've been thinking, you know, God has really impacted me. God is really using this place. I don't know, any church doing two-service design? I would just encourage you to come alongside financially. Start small and give big. We give to a lot of things in our lives, but these are the things that make eternal value here at Horizon. Or maybe you're at a place where you want to serve. What's kind of cool about our new atrium, besides the look of the new table and the, the new um, furniture and things to help people feel more comfortable, 
is that now we are actually grinding our own coffee. And so if you've never served or tried our new coffee, I'll talk a little bit more about that in the upcoming weeks, but you're not just serving coffee. If you volunteer for our coffee team, you're a barista now. I mean, this is like high-end stuff. So as we continue to be open and more and more people are showing up, uh, thank you again for those watching online and out in the tent. I would just encourage you, we need your gifts financially, and we also need people to serve because there are so many people whose lives are being changed by the gospel. So call me, talk to Drew, talk to John, uh, go to our serving opportunities on the website, but really join us in what God is doing because I just love what she said. This is a place where you can move from milk to meat. That same week I came up out of the, uh, the chapel and somebody came up to me and said how much the music was impacting them and how helpful it was. And they said, I just wish I could take the band home with me. And I said, well, you can. She said, what do you mean? And so I told her about a, a new button we put on the app about six months ago that we upgrade and we update regularly. So if you've never used this, you can download our app, horizonspacecc.com. And when you go to the front page there, you'll see there's different buttons. One of the buttons is worship sets. If you click on worship sets over here on the right, we actually actually have different worship sets put together for your own personal study. Songs of uh, Psalms, kind of sing through the Psalms together. Uh, God's word, God's sacrifice. We just put a new one in there with songs related to the book of Hebrews. Also, if you've never been to our book by book link, you just see there are different ways in which you can go through every book of the Bible, 15, 20 years of preaching in there if you want to use that as your own kind of personal Bible study. And then every week after this service, we record kind of an additional insight that you can use called the pathway. And that's in the second column there. And that can also be found on the app. So again, if you want ways to grow and move from milk to meat, these are just some of the tools we're offering. And if you're somebody who invites or, or gives or serves around here, I want you to know you're making a big difference. And if you've been thinking about ways you want to give or serve, now is a perfect time to kind of step in because God's doing amazing things. And we're going to see that today because we're going to be diving into the end of Hebrews chapter 5 in preparation for next week as we take on the hardest passage in the whole Bible. Anyone who's ever studied Hebrews wants to know what in the world Hebrews 6 means. So we're going to get all the pre-work out of the way today and then jump into the hardest passage in the Bible next week. So what has the theme been to our series, right? It's been that Jesus is bigger and better and more breathtaking than anything God's ever revealed in the past, right? That's been that theme. And that theme continues in this chapter. As he's going to encourage people to integrate that into their life. Quick reminder of where we've been. Hebrews chapter 1. God has spoken in many, many ways. But in Jesus, he's spoken full. Everything you need to know about God is in Jesus because he was God. Chapter 2. He wants us to become furiously obsessed with who Jesus is. Chapter 3. Exhort each other daily to believe deeper. What does it mean to have your beliefs go deeper into your heart, into your soul? Chapter 4, then what does it mean to have that deep belief in the rest of God that he has made you, washed you clean? He's accepted you based on Jesus' work and how to please him out of that place of rest, the gospel. Then last week, uh, Drew talked about what it means to trust Jesus as our final high priest in the first 11 verses. So we're going to pick up there as we finish the end of chapter 5. And we're going to discover that spiritual maturity 
is moving from milk to meat. So what is meat? Is that studying eschatology and pneumatology and, and substitutionary atonement and all kinds of fancy words? No. The writer is going to say that meat is the practices you apply. Do you know how to take the gospel and apply it in everyday life? That's what meat is. It's not just information that you learn so you can answer Bible trivia questions. So today, how do we move from milk to meat by putting the gospel in operation in our life? We're going to learn some things to pursue and some things to practice. And my hope is it will give you access to the power center that is the gospel as you move from milk to meat. Let's start with the first one. What does it mean to practice applying the gospel as the A to Z in your Christian life? Not just ABCs. For many of us, we think the gospel is, yeah, Jesus died for me, died on the cross, I'm getting to heaven, good check, I prayed a prayer many years ago, I'm good to go. But our writer has been saying, no, 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 everything you struggle with, every area of temptation, every bad habit you have, if you could apply the gospel to it, you would find victory. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. It is the A to Z of your Christian experience. It's not just the entry-level stuff. And here's how he speaks to his audience to say exactly that in Hebrews. Look what he says. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, chronologically you've been around the Bible, chronologically you've studied things, but you're not maturing. You're not at a place that you can teach this stuff. Hmm. Why is that? Well, he goes on. He says, you need someone to teach you. You should chronologically be able to instruct other people and disciple other people and model the life, but you're still in need of being modeled too. And again, you need someone to teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. You haven't even got the basics down yet, despite how long you've been around it. Hmm. And you have come to need milk, not solid food. So think like a baby who can't quite chew yet because they don't have teeth. You've got the bottle. You guys are still in bottle mode, guys. Come on. It's time to grow up. It's time to move on. So what does it mean to, to get from bottle mode to meat mode? Well, here's what he says. For everyone, sorry, and you have come to need milk, not solid food. For everyone who partakes, so something about partaking. But when you partake only milk, you're unskilled. Now look at that word. Milk people are unskilled in the word of righteousness for your babe. Now, that's, a, that's not information. It's a skill. In fact, the word in Greek actually means to be inexperienced. You're inexperienced or unskilled in knowing how to take all this theology and all these things you believe and all these things you've heard and apply it or put it into practice. You're unskilled. You haven't learned the skill, the meat of putting it into practice. He goes on. Solid food. The meat I'm talking about is for those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason, you've got to engage your brain to do this, of use. Look at that. You know how to use it. Use your understanding of God. Use your understanding the world's a broken place. Use your understanding of what the gospel did and how the Holy Spirit's alive in your life. It's something you practice, something you're skilled at, something you use. And you use it, and you have your senses, all five senses and your spiritual senses, exercised. So you get into something you do. 
You know how to exercise, how to put this into practice. And when you do that, you can discern good and evil. See all the, the words he uses here to talk about this idea of maturing is the idea of putting this message in practice. I had an uh, old pastor in Chicago, and he used to say, the church is filled with spiritual porkers eating at the trough of Bible doctrine. And those spiritual porkers need to get out and exercise. And there's nothing wrong with loving Bible study and loving sitting at the trough of good doctrine. I love good doctrine. But doctrine's only good if you know how to put it into practice. It's not just I need one more Bible study and one more, one more, one more, one more. It's take that good stuff, devour the good stuff, and then exercise that good stuff. So let's practice that for a moment. What does it mean to exercise the gospel and to put it into practice? Let's take the idea of criticism. When you're criticized by your spouse, by your boss, do you immediately get defensive? Now, if you do, you probably don't know it. So I'll say it this way. Does your spouse get defensive? Are they good at taking feedback? Are you good at taking feedback? Now, if you're not, no one likes to hear disappointing news, right? Nobody likes to hear critique. But let me show you how the gospel helps you take critique. Somebody criticizes whatever it is. Your performance as a husband, you know, you didn't take out the trash, you didn't whatever. Your performance at work. If you are your performance, then it's going to be very hard to not be defensive. Right? Because they're not just attacking, they're not just critiquing on something you've done, something you've said or didn't do. They're critiquing who you are. The gospel says, I am not what I do. I am, my identity is who God made me to be. And what I did here, I may have made mistakes. In fact, there's a high probability that what my son has brought up, what my wife has brought up, what my husband has brought up, there's a high probability that they're bringing up something that Jesus had to die for. Right? He died for a lot of things I did wrong. There's a high chance that one of these things my, my, my co-worker's bringing up is one of those things he died for. So I am open to feedback. Because my identity is in something far higher than my performance, good days and bad days. So I can incorporate feedback. Now, how many people do you know who are good at doing what I just described? Carry the one, don't need to carry the one. Right, you could probably count on one hand. That's what it means to exercise. Now, when you give critique, what does it mean to exercise the gospel, to be skilled in this? Very similar. Which is, I say, God is so gracious and so kind. He doesn't reveal all my sin to me at once, thank goodness. He comes alongside. He, he puts grace and truth in place in my life. How, when I give critique, can I surround it with love and grace? And you're becoming skilled. I'll give you another one. Just any sin or temptation you struggle with, uh, adultery or lust or being unkind. The gospel says all things, small and big in our eyes, all require Jesus to die. So I don't, I hear the lies in my head that say, it's not a big deal, it's not going to hurt me, God will forgive it anyway, and I'm not believing the gospel, which means I agree with God that this little sin, this critiquing, this unkindness, this impatience required Jesus, just this one thing required Jesus to die. I need to take this really seriously. And 
He forgave me for it. It saves you from guilt and shame on this side, and it saves you from compromise and, and thinking that things aren't a big deal on this side. You're agreeing with God. I'll give you one more. Management. When you're managing people, often people are so surprised to find out that the people they manage are sinners. I talked to somebody recently and said, Chad, are people always this cruel and always this mean and always this unruly? These people call themselves Christians and they are so narrow-minded and so self-centered. And I'm like, you don't believe the gospel deep enough yet. He's like, what are you talking about? The Bible says every human being, though made in God's image, has a heart that's desperately wicked. Do you believe that? Yeah. I don't think you do because you're surprised at how wicked the people are that you're working with. That's why we need accountability. That's why we need grace and truth, right? How many times over the years have I had new parents? And I, I was a new parent who did this too. And your kids get caught lying by a teacher or a coach. And how many times have you heard a mom or dad say, No, 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 no. My son would never lie. Really? Really? Jesus died for all the liars. But your children, because you've been such a great parent, don't lie. Well, my kids lied, and I lie. So we are liars in the Oven family, and so we're not surprised when we lie. It's not a good thing, but we need to repent of it. But yes, the chance that my kids lied, the chance that I lied is highly probable. But see, the gospel says I'm not defined by whether or not I have obedient children. I can be open to critique. I don't, I, I don't have to say silly things like my kids don't lie because I believe the gospel. This is the idea of applying. You're able to discern good and evil, Hebrew says, because you're applying the gospel to everyday life. You're able to see this idea of how the gospel is God is just delighted in us. He doesn't rub our noses in it, but he does woo us back to him. I'll give you one more story. I was uh, skiing um, this last uh, winter season with a buddy named Bill. And Bill said back in the day, before they actually had skis that had brakes on it, there was actually a rope that tied from your, your boots onto your ski. So he was skiing out, of, out west of this big resort, and he hits this big bump, comes over the snow, and the ski breaks that little cord. And the ski just keeps on going down the hill. And he's chasing after it. Hits a big drift of snow. He goes and digging into this thing about 15 minutes. Dig, 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 dig. Couldn't find it. Frustrated and angry. He said he came back to that ski resort three years later. Just on a whim. I'll check the lost and found. He looks lost and found. My ski! There it was! He was so excited. I've never been so thrilled to be reunited with my ski. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. He didn't pound that ski. Look how muddy you are. I can't believe you've been sitting here getting dust for three years. I can't believe the string broke. He just was celebratory that that which was lost was found. What if that was the spirit we had toward people who don't believe the same way we do? We really saw that every person you engage eyes with, you've discerned yourself to say, these are people Jesus died for. Annoying people he died for. Irritating people he died for. People you're related to that are annoying. He died for. And they're eternally valuable. Now, putting into practice the gospel. Second thing he says is, I want you to mature. I want you to move. I want you to pursue Jesus-like maturity, not just get to heaven basics. Like, what's the least I need to do to get to heaven? I got my ticket. 
No, that's not enough. I want you should be teachers by now. You need to move on. You need to be pursuing. My goal is to be like Jesus. Jesus made me in his image. He, he's perfected me based on what he did. How do I live consistent with this vision of who Jesus made me to be? That's so much better than just, what's the least thing I need to get to heaven? Am I in? Am I not on? That's what he gets at here in the next part of the verse. Here's what he says. Therefore, guys, if you're going to mature, you need to leave the elementary, this discussion about elementary principles of Christ. It's going to move on. Let's go on to perfection. The word maturity. Is your goal to be more conformed like Jesus? Or just to get to heaven? Guys, we've got to mature. We've got to grow. We've got to move from milk to meat. Don't lay again. Don't go over again the same old stuff. What do you mean the same old stuff? Well, the same old stuff. The foundation of repentance from dead works. He's going to mention six things here. Repentance from dead works. Faith toward God. Doctrine of baptisms. Laying on of hands. Resurrection of the dead. Eternal judgment. And this we will if God permits. Those five categories or six categories what he calls the elementary things. You're like, those are the elementary things. I don't even know what the baptisms are. And uh, wow. So we're going to spend today looking at those six little phrases. So it's going to feel like I'm not even in the passage, but I'm actually going to take each of those phrases, those six things, what he describes as the elementary things, and say, let's get those elementary things secured and how to apply it. And then we'll move on to maturity. So what are these things? that we need to pursue to have Jesus-like maturity in our life. Well, to do that, we're going to use our bookmark again. And our bookmark, we've really talked about the idea of how do we use the context? What does the surrounding verses say about this? The other thing we do is that we look for other places in the Bible to help teach us the Bible. The Bible teaches the Bible best. So we're going to figure out in the Bible these six phrases, what do they mean? then how do we pursue it? Let's look at a few of those together. So here's the six phrases here in the passage, right? It's repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So here's the first one. Yeah, so they are all in the passage. So we're going to take each one of those phrases and look at them together. First one, repentance from dead work. Jesus-like maturity means changing your mind about faith and works. works in no way make you more acceptable to God. Like, yeah, I got that. Do you? Because if you're bogged down in guilt and shame, God can't forgive me one more time. I can't believe I did that. I'm so embarrassed to find out that I'm a sinner. Then I'm not sure you've really repented from dead works. I'm not saying you're not getting to heaven. But have you really changed your mind? That's what repentance means. You've changed your mind and said, you know what? My performance does not determine God's love for me. Because either you're going to be self-righteous on the days you do well. Look how good I did. I'm obeying really well. I got a whole list of things I do that other people don't. Look at those terrible people who don't keep the law. You're going to be self-righteous and proud. Or you're going to be crushed under the weight that it was a bad day or a bad week where you didn't keep the law. And you need to change your mind about the belief that your works, you don't really believe they're dead. You still think in some way they're making you somewhat more or less acceptable to Jesus. The second category he brings up is faith toward God. Jesus-like maturity 
means not adding to or subtracting from Jesus' sufficiency. You're putting your faith, your confidence, your substance, as we'll see in chapter 11, in that God did the work for you. You're not subtracting from that. Well, you know, maybe God plus a little bit of me. You're not adding to it. God plus a little bit of my works or my righteousness or my keeping of the law. You're putting your confidence in it's what God did for me. It's his Sabbath rest. It's his work in me. These are the elementary aspects of the gospel. Now from that, he's going to kind of build on those first two and they get a little more complicated as he moves on. The next one is the doctrine of baptisms, plural. Baptisms? What do you mean? Well, Jesus-like maturity means knowing you've been washed completely. Now I want us to feel that and put that into practice today. There's been several baptisms in the Bible. One, because he's talking about the, the Levitical system, he's going to talk a lot about the Levar washing. You would wash your hands, the baptism or washing before you'd go into the tabernacle. There's a washing before you went into synagogue in Jesus' day at what's called a mikvah. It's a, a, a weekly washing or daily washing. There's another baptism we talk about today called believer baptism. There's John's baptism, and then there's Holy Spirit baptism. So just touch on a few of those. He's been saying, guys, you're committed to this Levar washing. Remember last chapter, he just, this chapter he already talked about priests. Every day the priests, the high priests and the priests, as pure as they were, they had to wash themselves in this Levar. It pretty much looks like a bird bath, right? So it's a bird bath. But every day, no matter how pure they were, even though they were priests, they had to be washed. And the washing was never enough. You're never clean enough. You're never washed enough. Never, 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 never. That baptism pointed to a future baptism, a future washing. And even in Jesus' day, before you came to weekly synagogue, you would go through mikvah, which is pretty much like a giant hot tub, a little pool. And you'd come down, you'd wash yourself. It's a reminder, I'm not clean enough. I've done wrong things. I've got secrets. I've got habits that people don't know about, but God knows about. And so I have to wash myself so I can enter sacred space or come and study Torah. But you've never washed enough. You're never clean enough. You're only as good as your last washing, and it didn't really take care of it anyway. It's a baptism. Then John the Baptist's baptism came and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And that's the idea you need to prepare yourself for what God has coming. But we practice what's called believer baptism. This is all through the book of Acts. This is people who say that washing at the Levar pointed to the ultimate washing in Jesus. The synagogue washing points to the ultimate washing in Jesus. John the Baptist was preparing us for the ultimate washing that was Jesus' death on the cross. So when you become a Christian, it says, by one spirit, you were baptized into one body. There's a spiritual baptizing or identifying with Jesus. You become a part of the body of Christ. You've been made to drink of the spirit. He puts the Holy Spirit in you. And Jesus was talking to his disciples one time, and he says, guys, when you become a Christian, it's like you've taken a bath. You don't need to keep getting into heaven, keep asking Jesus into your heart, keep asking Jesus in your heart. You've already taken a bath. So just daily let me wash your feet. Just let me kind of remind you that you're washed. Let me remind you that you're clean. He says, he who is bathed, who I've washed, you're completely clean. You're clean. Let me just wash your feet. Kind of agree with me that you've been cleansed. 
So believer baptism is something we practice here at the church. It's when somebody believes Jesus has washed them clean. And Jesus' washing is a once and all. You have to keep coming back and doing it. And when Jesus washes you, you come out into the pool, and we've had many, many friends and family members out in our pool, and you go down into the water. And it's a reminder that you have died with Christ, and all your sins are buried with him in the grave. And you come up out of the water, a reminder that you've been washed clean, and you have a resurrection spirit in you. And we cheer and we celebrate, because that is a powerful symbol of the believer being baptized and going public with that. You know you've been washed. You're not living in guilt and shame and condemnation anymore. You're living with grace and truth and joy. Have you ever been baptized? Maybe your application today is not serving or giving. Maybe moving from milk to meat is saying, I want to be baptized. We have two baptisms coming up this fall. I'd love to talk to you about it. John would love to talk to you about it. Drew would love to talk to you about it. Do you know you've been washed completely? And if so... Wouldn't you want to tell everybody? That's what baptism is. So that was our third phrase, baptisms. There's a couple other baptisms. I can't go into a few of them. The, the Holy Spirit's baptism we'll talk about some other time. And, and, but these are the major baptisms that point to Jesus' fully washing of us. All right, what's the next phrase he talks about here? Well, this is interesting. He says the laying on of hands is the next phrase. Now, people lay on hands when they send people into ministry, but I think he's talking about the Levitical system still back at the tabernacle. And there was a technique used by the priests. He just talked about priests in the previous verses. Because again, this is the context principles we look at. When you laid hands on something, there'd be a transference of your sins from you to the other thing. So laying on of hands was the idea that a priest would do. You can look these verses up later if you want. Leviticus 1, 4, 4, 24, and 16, 24. But it's the idea of what in Hebrew is called the, uh, the semacha, the transference. A priest would come and he would have you place your hand on your goat or hand on your lamb. And symbolically it would represent this thing that's going to die what I've done wrong has been transferred to the lamb. It's going to die for me to pay for my sins, to keep me clean. Transference. And what the writer of Hebrews is going to say, there ain't enough lamb and there ain't enough goats to keep you clean. Just had to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. But Jesus' transference, Jesus' samach, is when you place your hand on Jesus Everything you've done, past, present, future, gets transferred to Jesus. And you are fully cleansed. Jesus is enough. So the laying on of hands of Jesus is a recognition that everything got transferred from my sin to his account. And vice versa, by the way. This never happened with the sheep or the goats. All of the righteousness of Jesus got transferred to me by the laying on of hands. Now what does that mean? That means that as a Christian, how do you put this into practice? Not Jesus plus the approval of others makes you worthwhile. Right? When you struggle with an idol like approval of other people, you say, well, I was having a good day, but you know, so-and-so's mad at me and I just feel like I'm crushed. Okay, well, that's disappointing. But Jesus' transference, his acceptance of me, his well done, my good and faithful servant of me is enough. I don't need Jesus plus approval. It's not Jesus plus good status in the community makes me acceptable. 
Now, whether I have good status or don't have good status, Jesus' transference of value to me is enough. It's not Jesus plus a successful family. I can actually say, yeah, my kids might lie, I might lie. I'm not defined by my family or the obedience. It's not Jesus plus I obeyed really hard make me acceptable. No, 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 no. All of those things are lack of confidence in the transference of his righteous to me. You've added something. You've added something. I'll tell you my buddy Mike, several years ago he'd come from a Catholic background and he really was struggling. He knew Jesus died for him. He knew Jesus kind of gave him a second chance or gave him a new opportunity to kind of do better, but then he'd not do better and have to go and kind of go through the, the whole process of getting more grace. As he was wrestling with this idea, is it Jesus plus my obedience gets me to heaven or just Jesus? As he wrestled through that journey, he said to me at lunch one day, he said, Chad, here's what I came to believe. I realized that Jesus was enough. And I thought, how silly is it that I think that something I'm going to do today, this week, or this year is going to somehow improve on Jesus' death? Right? As if, you know what, Jesus' death and resurrection, pretty good, just needs a little, little tweak here and there. And you know, you know what would be perfect to add to Jesus? You know what Jesus is lacking? A little bit of me. A little bit of my obedience, a little bit of me keeping the law, a little bit of me kind of tweaking it here and there. He said, that idea, I realized it's so silly, but I believed it for 40 years. I had to actually recognize that his righteousness was transferred to me and I wasn't adding anything to it. Hmm. Isn't that good? That's the gospel. Okay, two more phrases. Next phrase he says here. As we move uh, into the next one, I love this idea because it's, it's about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And the resurrection is a theme through the entire Bible. And it's sometimes harder to see in the Old Testament, but it's there. He says, I want you to pursue Jesus-like maturity by recognizing the resurrection of the dead has been God's plan all along. What do you mean? I'll give you three from the Old Testament. Job 14, 14, Job, in the middle of all his trouble, says, resurrection is the, it's the solution to all problems. Really? Psalm 16, 10 says, hey, the Messiah is going to come, and God is not going to let his, his, his body see corruption. He's not going to be left in the grave. That's how he's going to solve this whole problem. Christianity is not about bad people being good. It's about dead people being made alive. Hosea, look at this one. Hosea says, third day resurrection proves his love for us actually mentions the third day resurrection and jesus will prove his love to us by on the third day resurrecting himself several other resurrections when jesus dies and raises himself from the dead that's a crescendo but did you know there's a bizarre passage in matthew that says when he raised himself he brought other people with him did you know that it's bizarre it's like matthew doesn't even elaborate here's what he says the veil of the temple was torn in two. The earthquake, the graves were opened. What? The graves were opened? And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, they died, were raised. Jesus didn't just walk around raised from the dead. He had a whole entourage of people. Like, look at the glowy people. And what happened to those glowy people? Did they go up with him? Matthew never mentions. See, Jesus was raised on a, a Jewish festival called First Fruits. That's the actual day of his resurrection. So on first fruit, you would bring a sample of your, of your fields to say, hey, God, I'm trusting you for the, the first piece of my crop, and I'm trusting you for the rest of the crop to come. Well, Jesus had to offer to God on his resurrection a first fruit offering. 
God, here they are. Here's a handful of my first crop of resurrection, and it's a promise of the future resurrection to come. So Jesus' first fruit resurrection offering was a promise that you and I can know that we're going to be resurrected because he did that in history for people to see. There's another resurrection coming in the future called the rapture. It says the dead in Christ... Why do we put bodies in boxes and caskets? Because the dead in Christ will rise first. They'll be caught together with him in the end. They'll get a brand new body. That's a resurrection. Then after a seven-year period of tribulation, there's going to be a thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, and there's another resurrection of the dead where everyone who's ever died outside of Christ will be raised so they can stand judgment. Their whole life they said, I don't need God to be my forgiver. I'm plenty good. And God says, all right, I'll give you a fair trial. Let's see if you really are good. And people are going to find they didn't even live up to their own conscience, let alone God's. That's the resurrection of the wicked to stand judgment. Which is why understanding this means we've got to put it into practice. Evangelism is important. Inviting people to church is important. Investing in all the ways you invest your time, your money in things. Investing in a place like Horizon. Investing in your conversations in ways to say, boy, eternity matters. We've got, we got to have some sense of urgency here to this. Which brings us into our sixth phrase. He gets into this idea of eternal judgment. Pursuing Jesus-like maturity is important because there's great rewards for doing what's right. And there are high stakes for people who don't accept Christ. And that's why we've got to be intentional about this. And to do that, I think we need to understand this, this concept of eternal judgment. I think a mature believer needs to understand the difference between the Bema seat and the great white throne judgment. So kind of an end times scale there. The Bema seat is, a, is the reward banquet that all Christians stand before God. It's during the tribulation you stand before God in everything you've ever done. Every time you swallowed your pride, every time you persevered, every time you trusted God and kept serving and kept growing, kept giving and kept serving. God has been taking notes. And at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, he will reward you. And you'll be so surprised you forgot you did that. You can't believe how God used that. Jesus says, whatever you do unto the least of these, you've done unto me. And I, I think I'm going to stand before God and say, God, it was very, very difficult raising a son with autism. But you said what I did unto him is what I was doing unto you. And Jesus, you were very hard to potty train, let me tell you. Ten years it took, Jesus. You've got to work on that. And Jesus, you didn't sleep very well. But it's the least I can do for you, Jesus. It's the least I can do. Whatever you persevered, whatever you've suffered, it's the least you can do for a God who died and came to earth to rescue you and I. And at that beam of seat, you will look at that moment and say, oh my goodness, why did I not arrange my life to serve and to give more to your kingdom? I spent so much time on self when these were the eternal rewards available to me. See, pursuing Christ-like perfection is an understanding of moving from milk to meat. It's an understanding that I'm going to stand before my Savior, and I can't wait to celebrate what he did through me. And I also am so thrilled that as Christians, I never, ever, ever, ever stand before the great white throne judgment. That's for people who want a fair trial and want their, their works judged. I don't want that. At the end of your life, you get fairness or forgiveness. Christians choose forgiveness. Everyone else wants that fair trial. The only people with the great white throne judgment 
are those who want God to judge their works. So as a Christian, if you're going to pursue Christ-like maturity, you've got to understand the difference in the judgments. One motivates you with great reward. The other reminds you about evangelism. There's high stakes of people who could have an eternity without God. So, what's our application today? What, what's the key takeaway of all these pieces? Chad, you said uh, it's not about information, but putting things into practice. Three ways all of this helps us apply. Three things. One, find your forgiveness. Do you know you're a follower of Jesus? If you don't, today's the day to say, God, I want you to wash me clean. If you're having trouble forgiving someone else because of what they did and how bad it was and how long it went on, receive the power to forgive them by realizing how much he washed you and forgave you. See, when you've been fully washed, here's how you put this into practice to overcome bitterness and anger and vengefulness. It's moving from milk to meat. You find humility and exultation in your identity because it's the triumph of Christ. You're humbled. You're not, you're not any better than anyone you've ever met who struggled with any addiction. You're all equally humbled by the gospel. And you're equally exalted. It doesn't matter who has more friends or who has more popularity. You are equally exalted because the God of heaven calls you by name. Throw away that self-image and that bad self-concept you have. It's garbage anyway. Get a God concept and a God image and be exalted. And lastly, find the motivation during suffering. When you're suffering, when you're going through difficult times, look to the Bema seat and say, oh, I will be rewarded for how I serve my master. And share Christ in this life while you have time because of the judgments to come. So this week, I want you to move from milk to meat in one area. I've tried to give you lots of examples today of how to apply the gospel in your life. I want you to pick one area. How can you be more thankful of everything that's gone wrong this week, this month, this year? You've been rescued from eternal separation from God. That ought to put a little dance in your step and put things in perspective. Is it being humble? Is it accepting criticism? Is it ex ex being exuberant with joy? Put into practice the gospel by moving from milk to meat. Taking this doctrine we just talked about, but learning to put it into practice. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we are a community church that just wants to dig into the Bible. We want to be people who are mature. We want to create a place for other people to mature themselves, Father. In all these things, grow us. Make us a community of joy. And a community that just knows how to have life and life more abundant. In Jesus' name. Now, before I let you go today, it's thinking about joy and community. If you have never come to one of our family events, part of our environments is also children's environments and family environments. I want to show you a quick clip of just a way in which you can invite your family into the joy of what we're doing as a church. Let's watch. <laughs> Hey dads, are you looking for an exciting way to kick off the new school year for your family? Not really. So let's try this again. Hey dads, do you like sports cars, pizza, and golf? Well, of course. Would your kids enjoy Kona ice and inflatable bouncy houses? Yeah, they would love that. That'd be amazing. Would your wife enjoy freshly made smoothies and connecting with her friends? I mean, that would make me like husband of the year. That'd be incredible. 
Would it be even better if it cost you nothing? That would be amazing. Well, if this sounds amazing to you as well, then head to the Horizon website or app to register your family for our Family Fun Night on Saturday, August 14th, 6 to 8 p.m. And feel free to invite the neighbors to join the fun as well. And maybe that's the opportunity. Maybe you're far away from talking about deep things and spiritual things with your friends, but maybe inviting them to an event where they get free food might be the first step. That's why we create these events as a church. It's so that we can use them as stepping stones to people coming to find Jesus. So make sure this week out in the atrium, you, you tell Ryan what an incredible actor he is. And we are so humbled that instead of being in Hollywood, he is here with us. And to use this opportunity to invite your friends as maybe the first step in them coming to know Jesus. Thanks for being here today.